Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. A few short verses found in Psalm 85, the 85th Psalm. It's so good to see everybody here today. God bless you again. All of our guests, we're so glad you're here. We hope you find something that you like good enough about your experience today that makes you want to come back. Amen. Amen. All of our home folks said amen. amen. Psalm 85, verse 7. Verse 7, Psalm number 85, show us thy mercy. Everybody say mercy. mercy. O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints. But let them not turn again to folly. Surely his salvation is nigh or near them that fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. I'm going to read that verse again slowly. Carefully, I'd like for you to note every word in it. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Praise God. Let's pray right now that the Lord would help me to uh, give the word of the Lord today and help you to receive it. I'm going to entitle my remarks simply, When Mercy Met Truth. When Mercy Met Truth. Lord Jesus, what a great thing it is to be in your presence again with the precious, precious people that you've gathered here under this roof to lift your name in praise and worship both church member and guest alike. Lord, wherever we hail from, whatever our background, we understand today that our presence in this place today is not by coincidence or happenstance. We came here today because you bid us come, because you ordain our attendance in this worship facility this afternoon. We just pray that you would help us to cause the reason that you brought us here to be fulfilled and not have been in vain. Speak to our hearts today and help us to understand so great a salvation that you died on Calvary to give us. And we want your will to be done in all things here this afternoon, giving you all the praise for it in Jesus' name. And somebody said, amen. God bless you as you're seated. Uh, Brother Isaac, could you get me a, a drink of water, please, sir? I'll just uh, confess to you today, I don't like drinking even water in the house of the Lord, especially uh, while I'm speaking. Now, that's, that's just my personal conviction. Uh, as pastor, I'm not going to say anything negative about folks if they need to bring water into the church service with them. I, I don't know what you're going through. Now, when the soda pop cans start showing up, I'll probably say something then. But uh, I, I want to take you back in time to last century. It was, I believe, February, the year 1945. A very special meeting was 
held by the leaders of uh, the three major allied powers, the United States, Russia, and Great Britain. This was the second meeting of what has been called the Big Three. Uh, Franklin D. Roosevelt, Joseph Stalin, and Winston Churchill. World War II would come to an end in just a few short months. And the purpose of the meeting, thank you, brother. They knew at this meeting, again, it was the second of three, these three men knew that World War II was over, that it was uh, just a matter of time before uh, Germany and Japan would surrender. Uh, they especially knew that uh, the Germans were already a defeated foe. I believe um, the United States armies had already liberated France and Belgium. And if I'm not mistaken, the Russian troops, those on the front line, had pressed their way to within about 40 or 50 miles of the city of Berlin, Germany's capital. The purpose of this meeting at Yalta, which was on the Black Sea, the coast of the Black Sea, the purpose was to discuss what was going to happen to Europe and especially and particularly the nation of Germany after the war. And it was a very important meeting. And I won't go into the details of it, but I, I bring your attention to that meeting because it's very closely uh, parallel to a similar meeting that was held once upon a time, centuries before World War II took place. Uh, there was another war, a war whose end result and the victory and defeat for both parties had already been decided. Uh, there were, however, far greater ramifications for the human race uh, at this meeting than there was for the nations of the world at the meeting in Yalta at the end of World War II. Uh, in fact, this war that facilitated this meeting was a war that would be like no other war ever would or could be, and at the end of this war that I'm referring to, there was, like I said, a meeting held, and like the meeting of the big three at Yalta, this was uh, a meeting of three far more different entities, individuals, and far more weight was placed upon their decision. And though the meeting at Yalta was to determine the fates of different peoples and different nations at the end of a world war. The purpose of this meeting, whereof I speak this afternoon, would affect the destiny of the entire human race for all of eternity. Where and when did this meeting take place, you ask? Well, it was approximately sometime around the year 34 A.D. It was located at a small, lonely hill 
just outside the city of Jerusalem, the hill was called Calvary or Golgotha. Who were the participants at this meeting? Those who attended this meeting were righteousness and truth and mercy. And at this meeting, mercy pleaded for mankind. For mercy always had done that. Mercy has always pleaded for you and I. Mercy, God's mercy, has always desired that we human beings would not be cut off and forever uh, extinguished. Uh, mercy has always lobbied and persuaded whoever it could so that the Lord would not be sorry that he had made man and he wouldn't repent that he'd made the human race like he did in the days of Noah. But righteousness and truth with just as much compassion and just as much uh, conviction, they, instead of pleading for mercy, would condemn man. And they always had. It seemed like they always would. Not because they were judgmental in nature. Not because righteousness and truth wanted man to be condemned. But it was simply because of the basic uh, fundamental nature of God's righteousness and God's truth that they had to uphold. And so as you look back through the annals of time, ever since man was created and put in the garden, mercy was always forever hanging around the throne of God and asking a question. Mercy, it seemed, was always seeking God and heaven that man would not have to be destroyed. It's written in the book of Psalms when mercy asked this question of God, Hast thou made all men in vain? Mercy inquired of God and said, Surely, God, you didn't make man for this, did you? Surely it must be, God, that in your great knowledge and in your wisdom, you had a better end in mind you had a better destiny, a better hope, a better future for this creation of yours called man. But as mercy pleaded and as mercy petitioned, truth would rise up, stand up and say, yes, that's true. But is it also not written that the soul that sinneth, it shall die? And then righteousness would join in. Say, yes, and it's also stated there that the wages of sin is death. And then mercy would chime in and say, but, but, but there, there must be some kind of gift from God, something that can be done that translates somehow into eternal life and not death for man. Because eternal life, that's what man was created for in the first place. And so then righteousness and truth, they would point out, well, what is the use of there being such a thing as justice? Of what value is God's holiness if he ignores the sin of man? And if God doesn't bring the punishment of eternal death like he said he would for the fall of man and the sin that man committed and for man turning away his heart from God. 
And mercy then would answer, well, what use was it for God to create man in the first place if God can't spare the sinner? And so it went back and forth, back and forth for thousands of years from the time that Adam and Eve first committed sin in the Garden of Eden until this meeting this day on a hill called Calvary. And as you look back in time, you see where mercy would plead, and it always did, pleaded for mankind. And mercy would plead at the throne of God over and over again. You can read it in the Old Testament. There we read how mercy stood behind the veil in the tabernacle and then what would become the temple. And when the priest would go into the Holy of Holies, that back room of that two-roomed tabernacle or temple with the blood, the priest would take the blood from the animal sacrifice to atone for the sins of the people. And when that would happen, whenever the Shekinah glory, the literal presence of God would come into that back room, mercy was there between the cherubims, the angels that were carved in gold that sat upon the top of the Ark of the Covenant. In fact, it was called the mercy seat. And there mercy would see that animal's blood and, and mercy would begin to plead again in a conversation with God and say, God, see, see that blood? Uh, I know it's not the right kind of blood. I, I know it's just the blood of animals, but, but at least it's blood. And, and God, you're the one that said that's what you required. You said there must be the penalty of death and that life is in the blood. God, why don't you one more time postpone the, the debt and its payment. Don't, don't require the price to be paid just yet. I, I'll come up with an answer somehow that will be lasting. Some day, somewhere, there will be relief of some kind. Someday, sometime, somehow, there's going to be an answer to your words of truth. And at some moment, somehow, there's going to come a settlement of the terms of righteousness and truth and their voices. And so mercy sought for the settlement that had to be found. What, what would that involve? What would be the terms? What and where would it take place? What would be the contract, the covenant that had to be drawn up and signed by somebody in order for reconciliation between God and man to take place. Who would and who could answer the call of truth? And who would answer the accusations of righteousness? And so here we have the appearance suddenly of another entity, another member of this discussion that raised its ugly yet necessary head, and that was judgment, for judgment cannot be postponed forever. Mercy knew that the blood of animals just wasn't going to cut it forever. Mercy knew that the evidence against man was so great, it was so unimpeachable. No vote needed to be taken Righteousness and truth, they knew it as well. They knew that the case against man was an open and shut case. 
They knew that our sin and our right to be judged and damned forever as punishment for our sin had been proven beyond all reasonable doubt. What was needed, what was desperately needed was forgiveness. And what was needed was was some kind of payment, some kind of answer that would satisfy the terms that God himself had set up, the terms of righteousness and the terms of truth. And somehow through these terms, it would let men live and not die. Paul said in Hebrews, he said, it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. And so the blood of the sacrifices year after year after year that God told Israel to make, the the sacrifice and the blood of bulls and goats could only postpone the punishment. It could only push ahead to the time of the next sacrifice, the next year, the sins and the problem of the sins. The Old Testament prophet, he he spoke up. Micah, he, he asked this question. Can you give the fruit of my body for the sins of my soul? Can man offer himself as a sacrifice? Well, the answer, of course, is no. Righteousness answers and says no because there's the stipulation that the sacrifice has got to be pure, without spot and without blemish. And no man, righteousness would remind everybody, when they would have these meetings. Nobody, no human being has ever drawn a breath that is spotless and sinless and pure in every sense of the word. And at this last meeting, the one I'm speaking of, outside of Jerusalem at a hill called Calvary, it's right about then, right at that moment that mercy steps up. And mercy says, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're right. There's been no one, nobody, not a single human being who has set foot on this planet that God made who lived a life without sin who was perfect. Nobody until now. Praise God. And can I remind you today of that scene, ladies and gentlemen, that unfolded that afternoon where this meeting took place on that small forsaken hill just outside the city of Jerusalem, the hill called Calvary, where righteousness and truth and mercy and judgment all turn. And they look down the road as they hear a commotion as the noise of a crowd, first very dim, uh, almost uh, undiscernible uh, at first, but then growing louder and louder as every second passes, as the crowd gets closer and closer to that hill. And they look, and the sight amazes every one of them. 
Because in the procession approaching them is a figure, is a man that they instantly recognize. And in that procession is this man, and they look on his face, and immediately they notice it's, his face is hideously marred and transfigured where the soldier's hands have cruelly beaten the man in the face. They look at the rest of his body and they see that it's been bruised and beaten and torn almost beyond recognition by a, a cruel Roman soldier's cat of nine tails that he has brought down upon that body over and over. In fact, 39 times. And they see that this man who can barely stand upon his feet has blood matted begin to dry in his eyes and in his hair and at various places all over his body it's become matted and in other places though it's bright crimson red because the blood still flows from those open wounds in fact uh, as the soldiers take this man and they lay him on his back, not calmly, not gingerly, not easily, not caring for his welfare, but cruelly and roughly and quickly throw him on his back on top of a roughly hewn, crusty trunk of a tree that's not smooth across that you see in pictures since you have been born. All of those are wrong. 99.9% .9 of those pictures are showing you a smooth cross, uh, one that uh, wouldn't hurt uh, until the nails come. Oh, no, my friend. Jesus felt the pain from that old, rugged, cruel, jaggedly edged and splintered cross as it tore the flesh anew from his body. And then righteousness and truth and judgment and mercy, they hear the sound of metal upon metal as the Roman soldier who's in charge takes his hammer and he begins to drive the nail, which really is the size of a railroad spike, uh, penetrating into the hands first and then the feet of this man crushing the bones, piercing the flesh and causing fresh blood to spurt out crimson and red from these new agonizing wounds. And as this man is lifted up to the sky, his body affixed so cruelly and so mindlessly and so painfully to that old rugged cross, the four, mercy and truth, and righteousness and judgment, would remember the words that were written. He was wounded for our transgressions. And he was bruised for our iniquities, for our sins. Oh, I'm telling you, that was a meeting. What a meeting that was that day at Calvary. And all of the hosts of heaven and hell itself joined in with righteousness and mercy and truth and judgment in watching the spectacle firsthand. And some of them began first to, 
to understand and then quickly realization spread at least through heaven that a miracle was happening before their very eyes something miraculous was taking place something unprecedented that had never happened before was taking place something happened in this world that could not happen in that world because something had to come from that world. Somebody had to leave that world in heaven above and come to this world to reconcile righteousness and truth and judgment and mercy all together in one place, on one level playing field. And if righteousness dared scratch his head, and let a single furrow of doubt appear in his brow and say something like, well, I, I don't know about this. And mercy would pipe up and say, oh, he had a clean birth. That was one of the rules. That was one of the stipulations for Mary. That which is conceived in you is of the Holy Ghost. And if the question was asked by one of the other members at that meeting, did, did he really live a holy life? Then mercy would say, yes, there is none to accuse him. There is no wrong to be found in him. His body, soul, and spirit were without guile, without sin of any kind. And ladies and gentlemen, that's when righteousness and truth saw that day when they looked at that man on the cross, they saw Jesus, the perfect, spotless, sinless Lamb of God. And they said, yes, if this is who Isaiah said it is, if this is who the angels singing on the hillside at his birth at Bethlehem said it is. If this is really God manifested in the flesh, reconciling the world to himself, then this is it. Ladies and gentlemen, it was at Calvary that the impasse was broken. It was at Calvary the sacrifice that was needed finally was made. It was at Calvary that righteousness and truth and mercy and judgment met together, and mercy won. I said, mercy won. Hallelujah. Oh, I don't know why you're still sitting there. You've got something to shout about today. You've got something to thank God for today beyond your ability and the words in your and my limited vocabulary. Hallelujah. We've got a cause to worship God today, to spend the rest of this day, the rest of our life here on earth, and the rest of eternity worshiping and praising him for. Hallelujah. Oh, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration, by the renewing of the Holy Ghost. My friend, if you don't have the Holy Ghost today, like the Bible says, I wouldn't dare walk out of this building without it. 
Hallelujah. Mercy is not finding out that somebody else committed the crime and so you're acquitted. No, that's not it. Mercy is not you getting off the hook because of some technicality or procedural mistake made by the prosecuting attorney. Oh, no. Mercy is not somebody breaking you out of jail so you can escape the judgment that you've rightly got coming to you. All the evidence is in, and the trial's been conducted, and the proof has been presented, and the verdict has been rendered, and guess what? We're guilty. I said, we're guilty. There's no question, and there's no doubt. We're guilty. We did it, caught at the scene of the crime with no place to run and no place to hide. Hallelujah. We're sinners. Every one of us, you, sir, you, ma'am, you're a sinner just like me because the Word says we're born in sin, shapen in iniquity. There is none righteous, no, not one. But thank God for mercy. Mercy is when, this is what mercy is. It's when the judge, the judge who is also, by the way, the one who wrote the law in the first place, he looks at you and he says, yes, you did it. You're guilty. But I, I have decided to pay the price for your redemption. I've decided to take your punishment for you. I've decided to take the sentence of death that was yours. I'm going to take that for you. And instead, I give you a pardon, a reprieve. Instead of judgment, I give you mercy. You're free. You're free. Praise God. You're free at last. And so what we have, ladies and gentlemen, today is the fact that as the Bible says, mercy rejoices against judgment. Mercy has a celebration. Mercy has a party. While judgment stands over here in the corner grumbling, and he looks on and says, I had him. I had her. He looks at righteousness and truth, but that, that, that mercy came along. He was mine. I had her and him dead to rights, but that mercy came along and messed things up. Oh, I'm telling you today, you ought to thank God for his mercy today. Thank God for mercy. Hallelujah. And because of that day when mercy met truth now when righteousness looks down from heaven on me today it doesn't see a sinner righteousness God's righteousness looks at me looks down at me and it can't see the sinner that I was you know what it sees it sees a covering of blood Hallelujah. When hell, 
listen to me. When hell looks up at me from the flames of the lake of fire and it sees me in all of my humanness and my weakness and it knows what I've done in my life, then it doesn't see that anymore. It sees the blood of Jesus covering me. I'm going to tell you something today. Righteousness and truth and mercy and judgment, all four, they're having another meeting right now in this place. They've come here today. They've come here with you and I. And if you, if you have never received the power of the Holy Ghost in your heart, if you've never been reconciled to God by that blood that separates you and I and keeps us away from God, if you've never been reconciled by letting somebody bury you in the waters of baptism in Jesus' name, then we can settle all of that right here today. Hallelujah. If you've not been born of the water, baptized in Jesus' name, if you haven't received the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues or languages just like they did in the Bible, then you can take care of all of that right here this afternoon. Praise God. Well, preacher, I can't live it. Well, you don't have to. I said, you don't have to. For I believe I can hear the words of the Scripture calling out to me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Preacher, it's just too big for me to handle. Oh, no. Whatever you bring to Jesus today, he's big enough. He's big enough to handle it. You can bring alcoholism. You can bring drug addiction. You can bring a long list of broken promises, broken dreams, and problems. It doesn't matter to God because, you see, if God is for you, then who can be against you? As ever, everyone stands today, I want everyone to bow your head, please, and close your eyes. That's so that you will not be distracted by a decision that you need to make right now. And that is, if you have not, if you have not been to mercy's hideaway, if you have not taken advantage of mercy, the mercy of God, the plan, the escape plan that God's mercy has given you that he died on an old rugged cross to give you if you haven't taken advantage of that plan by being born again of the water baptism in Jesus name if you haven't repented of your sins and asked God to forgive you of your sin you say I'm a pretty good Job preacher I'm a, I'm a pretty good fella I, I, I don't bother nobody I don't steal I don't I don't break the law. I'm pretty good to my family. That doesn't matter. Well, all of that's good, but in the eyes of God, that's not what counts. It's have you been covered by the blood? The blood is the covenant 
the blood of Jesus that he shed on that cross on Calvary's hill at that meeting of mercy and truth and righteousness and judgment. If you haven't allowed that blood to cover you by obeying the Lord God in baptism and receiving the Spirit of God, then there's a problem. There's still a problem between you and God. He loves you. But listen, that cross that he died on is still bloodstained today, and that blood still flows from Calvary's hill today. And you can have eternal life if you'll take advantage of it. The power that is in that blood that was there when the meeting took place between mercy and truth on that day that Jesus was crucified. The power that was in that blood that Jesus shed that day is still here today. And that blood will still give you deliverance from sin and strength and hope and eternal life. As they began to sing, Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. Calvary Church is located at 406 North 44th Street in Mount Vernon, Illinois. Service times are Sunday school at 1 p.m. every Sunday, except the last Sunday of each month, and worship service at 2 p.m. Also, we have an all-church service at 6.30 p.m. on Wednesday. Calvary Church is affiliated with the United Pentecostal Church International. Thank you, and have a blessed day.